listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more information and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Or if you're in the area, come visit us in person. Well, I promised today that it was going to be part two of last week's message on the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And it is a part two of sorts, but I changed the title because it kind of went a different direction with it. So that's what we're talking about. Same text as last week. This will be Acts. Find it in my Bible first. Acts chapter 9. Verses 1 through 20. So I'm going to read this one more time. And as I do, I'll ask you to rise for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 20. It goes like this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, He might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come together this morning, I ask that the words of my mouth... And the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. 
Test, test, test. There we go. There's a quote by a guy named Isaac Asimov, and he says this. Your assumptions are your windows on the world. Scrub them off every once in a while, or the light won't come in. We can debate the merits of this quote. We can debate whether it's actually possible, whether we have the capacity to do this sort of cleaning on ourselves and get a, an accurate picture of the world, for sure. But the point still is important. He's saying that assumptions, the assumptions we make about people, about the world around us, are vital. They're vital. And in fact, assumptions, assuming things about other people, can be a very, very dangerous kind of thing. I found this out the hard way. Maybe you have as well. When my wife and I were first dating, this is before we were dating, we were just corresponding, we were sending messages via email. I was in seminary at the time and I lived, at the place that I lived at didn't have internet access, so I was doing everything on my phone, right? And we had a mutual friend, this mutual friend had connected us and he told her that, hey, there's this guy from seminary who's, he might be contacting you, just heads up. Uh, he's not a total creep or something like that. So I finally worked up the guts to do this, to send this message out to her, right? And so I kind of put myself out there, nothing too extravagant, just, hey, I'm, I heard about you and we have these friends, Tim and, and Monica, and uh, just good to meet you. It was pretty, pretty basic stuff, but I tried to be witty and clever, which was really, really foolish because that never works. Uh, I send it off and I was like, okay, breathe this sigh of relief, right? And then I wait, I wait, I wait. And then I don't know if it was a, a day or two later, I got this message back from her and I was so excited. And I pulled it up on my phone and I, I read it. I don't remember the exact words, but it was something really, really close to this. Thanks so much for your message. It's a little late, dot, dot, dot. was all that I saw. And I had to think, man, what's with this girl? Like, is she just that uppity that she doesn't even feel the need to explain her reasons? Like, well, it's just a little late. Okay, have you found a guy in the last three days since I corresponded with these people who set us up? Like, what's going Like, maybe she's just, why is she being so vague and so like, it's just bizarre. And so I kind of assumed things about this girl that I had never met based on this one little message. Well, foolish me, if I would have known what happens when you click on those three little dots at the end of the message, it displays the rest of the message. <laughs> I thought that was it. It just said, thanks for your message. It's a little late at night, so I will get back to you tomorrow. It was basically that. You see what happens when we make assumptions. Assumptions are dangerous things. And we do it all the time in our daily lives, and kind of we have to, to survive to some degree, right, in order to have somewhat normal interactions with people and to uh, use wisdom, we sort of have to uh, assume some of the basic things and make snap judgments in a sense here and, and there but we assume things all the time about people, don't we, based on how they look. 
based on where they're from, based on their accent, what they do for a living, based on how old they are, right? We do this all of the time. We assume things about different people, and we assume based on the little that we actually know of them that we know the whole thing. We read a sentence or two from the book, like I did in the kids' sermon, and we assume we know what the book is about. We assume we get them. The danger of assumptions. This is what I want to talk about today. Our text this morning recounts the conversion of the Apostle Paul, Saul at the time. And just as a brief recap, Saul was, was a really, really bad dude, right? Remember this. He was, he was on his way to throw Christians in jail. He was like enemy number one of the early church. So he was taking Christians and, and throwing them in jail, and uh, they were oftentimes killed. Paul was there when the first martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death. Saul was a bad, bad guy. And what's more, he thought he was doing a service to God with all this bad stuff he was doing. He was dead certain that he was right. Turns out he was, it was the opposite. He was completely wrong. So Paul is on his way to Damascus from Jerusalem. He's got notes from the high priest giving him permission to jail any Christians that he finds there. But while he's on this path... What happens? There's this this miraculous conversion. A a light comes from heaven, and a voice cries out, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He says, well, who is this? And Jesus says, well, it's Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so this light comes down, and it kind of knocks knocks Saul down uh, off of of his high horse, in a sense, and, and God gets at him, and Saul is blinded at this point, and so his servants have to lead him into town, right? They lead him to the town, into town, to this, this guy by the name of Judas. We know nothing about him. That was a common name back then, Judas on Straight Street, and, and there Paul fasts, and he prays for, for, for days. Now, at what point did Paul become a Christian? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Was it the instant the light came down? Was there still some resistance there? Or was it later when he went and, and was baptized? I tend to think that. Um, that's not really the most important thing here. But he's, he's in the house of Judas, right? And then there's this other character who enters the picture. And this is the guy I want to zoom in on today, Ananias. Ananias. We don't know much about Ananias. There's a few different Ananiases in Scripture. We talked about one in Confirmation today. Um, But this Ananias, we don't know a lot about him. We know he was a Jewish convert. You read in Acts 22 that he was thought well of by other believers. Um, He had a good reputation. Good, pious, believing Christian. Right? And so so God, God comes to Ananias, and he speaks to him, and he gives him these instructions. He says, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Saul has had this vision that Ananias is actually going to come to him, and God's like, Ananias, you, you need to get over there and, and actually do this thing. Listen to Ananias' response. 
Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He's right, isn't he? He's 100% right. This is all accurate information that he's conveying to the Lord, as if God didn't already know it. But there's something else going on here, too. There were other things that Ananias did not know. He was not aware of Saul's conversion experience on the road. He was not aware that this light had come down from heaven and that Paul was now praying. He didn't know. And yet he drew conclusions based on the little he did know. See, Ananias was making some pretty bold assumptions about Paul. And seriously, we cannot blame him, right? Like, had we been in those shoes? Man, uh, by the way, this murderer, you want me to go into his house and, like, put my hands on the guy? You're going to throw me in jail? And, like, he, there was great personal risk to this. So, it, it, logically, it, it makes sense is his reticence to head, to head there and to, to do what God asked him. But he's making some assumptions. He's making assumptions based on Paul's past actions and his current reputation. And boy, do we do that too. We assume things about people, their motivations, their, their thoughts, their actions. We interpret them. We assume we know them based on their, the things they've done in the past, past actions, and on their present reputation. Past actions. Past actions, I don't know if you found this to be true in your life, but I certainly have in mind. Past actions, things that other people have done to me, because I don't do anything to other people, ever. But things people have done to me uh, are kind of hard to get out of my mind, aren't they? I can't really purge that from my memory. We assume people who are a certain way in the past are that way now and in the future as well. Boy, you know, one of the, the, the strangest experiences I ever had was coming back home from college. After being away from, for an, a number of, of months, I, was, I went to school in, in Illinois, so it was, I, don't, I didn't get home all that often throughout the year. It was like twice, twice during the school year. But the strangest thing is when your adult children come back into the home again, and all of a sudden there's this huge like existential identity crisis because like... People don't know who, know who they are anymore. Like, by the way, I'm an independent adult with my own uh, life, you know, and my own job. And like, I'm doing all right for myself. And now I, I come home and I feel like I'm a kid again. <laughs> right? Doesn't that happen? We revert to our old roles. And we base our adult siblings sometimes. We assume things about them based on how they were in the past. My brother Christopher, I'm sorry, but I don't think you listen to these. It doesn't matter. But uh, 
This was not part of the script. I just got to get this out of my system. He, uh, he, said, he, he did this thing where he sat on the couch and he would, he would bounce whenever he was in a pouty mood. So he'd go, he'd, and he had a tune he would sing as he was doing it. And, and he'd do it over, over and over again. And then my sister started to, to kind of copy him and, and all this stuff too. So that had nothing to do with anything, but you just need to know that uh, my brothers and sisters are terrible people. Um, uh, that's not true. But it is true that we judge, we assume things about people based on their past actions. Well, what about their current reputation? Man, I tell you what, a reputation is a hard thing to shake. Especially in a small town like this, man, 1,700 people? I grew up in a town of 560, and we didn't get, it wasn't lakes country, so we didn't get the swelling population this summer. It was just like, these are the people you with, you're with, whether you like it or not, and they know everything uh, about you. This is how small my town was. When I had some friends from college visit to go goose hunting for the first time, my mom was like, hey, we should, we should send this picture into the paper. Sent the picture into the paper, smack, they put it right on the front page. <laughs> so just like you get, you get a bee in your bonnet, I'd like to be in the front page this week, I think. Here's a picture. It worked. But in a small town, you get a reputation, for example, as a, as a gossip or, or as a drunk. Those labels will stick to you. Those labels will, will stick, and they're, they're difficult to move beyond, to move past. There's a book that I've referenced a number of, of times because I think it's so good. It's called The Scarlet Letter. I'm guessing a number of you have read it. The plot basically goes like this. There's this woman by the name of Hester Prynne. This is in, this is in a, a Massachusetts colony, 17, 1800, somewhere in that vicinity. And Hester, she was, she was married. It was presumed that her husband had, had died at sea. He actually hadn't, come to find out. And she ends up uh, having an affair and bears a child out of, out of wedlock. And she will not tell anyone who the father of this child is. She doesn't want to bring shame on, on that person. And what she has to do then in, in this puritanical colony is she has to go to the, the town square where she has to stand for, I think, three hours. It's a long time in front of everyone, the entire town, like in the stocks, while they stare at her and can hurl insults at her, and she just becomes this object of shame. And not only that, after that, she has this, she's sentenced to, to wear around a little scarlet letter A, A for adulteress, for the rest of her life. She isn't allowed to live within the, the town itself. She has to live outside of it. When she has the kid, even the kid is, is shunned. It's not a particularly happy story, but it does bear out the truth that our reputations are hard, if not impossible, to shake in many of our minds. You see, we not only assume things about people based on their past actions and present reputation, the word assume is just a nice way of saying judge. So here's the law this morning. We judge people 
based on their past actions and current reputation. This is a human tendency ingrained in our hearts because old Adam's blood still flows through our veins and we still wrestle mightily with that. We judge people based on their past actions and current reputation. That's the law, and the law is always heavy, as it should be. But God gives us another word, the word of the gospel. And in this case, it's pretty simple. God doesn't. God doesn't judge people based on their past actions and current reputation. God judges us. If you are here as a, as a believing baptized child of God, God judges you not based on your past actions or current reputation, but on the basis of His Son, Jesus Christ, and Him alone. And if you find yourself believing that, man, you're in a pretty good place. God does not judge us based on our past actions and on our current reputation See, the reality here, this is what James says in chapter 2, verse 10 of his book. He says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You hear that? Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. It's funny when we talk about people's past actions and their, their current reputations because the reality of what Scripture tells us about ourselves is that all of our reputations are sullied and all of our past actions are sinful. Sinful from, from birth. That is to say they are all tainted by sin in some way, shape, or form. But the thing about Jesus is He comes in and He takes that scarlet letter and He tears it off and He gives you a new reputation. He gives you His reputation, perfect and righteous, forgiven and free, And He takes away your past record of wrongs, forgiving you, casting your sins into the heart of the sea. There is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And instead, you get His perfect record. Man, that is great news. That is great news. And we need to hear that. We need to hear that every day because we forget it, don't we? Again, if you are here as a Christian today, I want you to hear what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17. It says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, we don't make assumptions anymore. <laughs> we no longer, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so 
no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. Not the new is going to come once you sufficiently clean yourself up or do enough good deeds to earn the Father's favor. No, this reality is true of you here and now this morning. We are new creations. And man, it's, it's easy to assume things. It's easy to assume we know people, that we understand them and their, their motivations. And we make snap judgments based on that. The truth, though, is that there's way more that we don't know about people than that we do know about their backstories, about where they've come from, about where they're going. I mean, try this. Look to the person on your right. Just do that right now. Look to the person on your left. If you were to write that person's biography, how well do you think you'd do? How much do you think you would leave out? How much of their story don't you know? See, all we get are snippets just here and there, right? Glimpses is all. When we read one sentence and assume we know what the book is about, we take the judge's seat, pound the gavel down, and render our judgment again and again and again, day after day after day, too sinful, too foul-mouthed, too dirty, too liberal, too conservative, too immoral, too bad of a reputation. But man, if today's story teaches us anything, though, it's that none of those things disqualify us from God's grace. In fact, it's those very things that draw Him to us. We can bring our judgmental hearts before God and confess in all boldness because He is faithful and just and will always forgive. You know, God doesn't have to assume anything about us because He knows it all. And hallelujah, <laughs> He loves us anyway. May we strive to love others in that same way. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.